this is not restless. Okay, I know you just want to get to the show, but I'm actually here to tell you that there's a way that you can get even more restless in your life. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast, where there are three different ways, starting at just $3 a month, that you can both support this show and at the same time get even more content, at least one extra episode a week and often more. Not to mention the Restless Telegram channel that you'll have access to 24-7 to interact with all the other patrons. If you want more Restless in your life, this is the way. Go to patreon.com backslash the Restless podcast. Okay, back to the show. And this is Restless. We are going to go forward with our Good Faith Monday live stream here in the Midwest, talking to you, the Reformed world. Pastor Michael, it's a good night. Uh, we might get a storm here. What do we What do we do if the storm knocks out the live stream? Do we just... Um... Uh, That's just done, right? We'll just pick it up wherever, wherever it ends. If there's a storm and it knocks out power, um, then we will just pick up where we left off and uh, go from there. So... That will be the plan anyway. Well, the good news is, is that we are getting to watch a live stream um, by TGC, which we know everyone out there in the world enjoys. Pastor Michael, I will admit, though, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit worried about the title of this uh, of this live stream um, <laughs> and with the with the question that TGC has presented us being. Should we focus on being narrowly pro-life or pro-life womb to tomb? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this already, I guess, that we don't have high hopes for this one. <laughs> Although, here's what I have high hopes for. Um, Scott Klusendorf is a boss. I love this guy. So um, okay. I'm, I am expecting good things from him. Uh, I, in the moment, can't remember the other... Uh, the woman's name that is debating him. I know it's a name that once you say it, I'll remember it. Uh, it is. She's one of those wonderful women who, you know, uses the three letter acronym for herself. She is KSP. Karen KSP, Swallow that's Potter. right. Is it bad that every single time I can't remember the person's name? Or maybe it's, has it just been the women? I don't mean it to be. I just, I just feel like every time we've done a live stream, I have not been able to remember the name of whoever I think I'm going to disagree with. <laughs> that, that just, that it only reflects on how you, um, how you uh, think of your opponents in debate. I personally, as I think about an opponent in my life, I'm going to just quick, take a moment to, um, to do something unpopular and just say a nay to keto diets, but I should be saying yay to it because I learned um, white claw, is keto friendly, but blueberries <laughs> are a void. So you, really? you're supposed to, if you're, yeah. So I'll just go ahead and say, if if your diet plan involves you avoiding blueberries, but votes yes to White Claw, <laughs> there might be something wrong. There might which, be. Which is my, which is my transition to saying there's something wrong with the question that TGC is asking. Um, because here is my answer to the question before we get into it. 
Should we be narrowly pro-life or pro-life womb to tomb? Here's the answer, YouTube. Here's the answer, restless world. We should be pro-life womb to tomb. The taking of human life should never be a solution to society's problems, right? So we should um, support uh, protecting life in the womb. We should oppose assisted suicide. We should oppose any kind of social program that would, um, you know, encourage the the taking of human life, of innocent human life, um, yes. including we should support the death penalty to defend human life. So, and yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure, Matt, that's not what it's going to that's not how it's going to turn out. huh? That's You're not right. What it's going to be. It's interesting. I don't think it's going to be that either. So, Pastor Michael, give us just a uh, give us just give us like 30 seconds on who um, Scott Klusendorf is and why we should be at least looking forward to uh, his his portion of what we're about to watch. Yeah, Klusendorf has been an, an advocate for the pro-life position for a long time. Um, he's written a lot on the subject. He has one particular book that, of course, I can't remember the name of. I can honestly, I can remember the name of a lot of things. I can remember notes that I've taken in very specific margins of specific books, and I could find it in a second. And then for some reason, there are just times I just can't remember anything. Um, and so, you know, he did write write one book that I read um, from him that was just really fantastic as far as laying out a consistent pro-life argument and um, just does a great job. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to uh, what he does as far as that goes. And I think he'll have, because he's been engaged in uh, the advocacy for the pro-life position for so long, I think that he will be able to uh, hopefully shed some helpful light on why the idea of those who often use the phrase womb to tomb are not actually operating in good faith. Um, so we'll find out. I, I agree that if anything, what I hope this debate demonstrates that unlike my use of womb to tomb, the, the normal usage of it is not in good faith. But I do think that there will be some very interesting cultural questions and with especially where TGC is trying to point conservative evangelicalism with this debate. So, well, without further ado, let's get started on this thing uh, before lightning knocks us out. So this is season one, huh? Yeah, yeah, we're back to the dark season not gonna lie i brought some pie for while we watch so <laughs> that's very good pie also not keto friendly just in case anyone <laughs> else is keeping score Hol oh sorry they choose the word holistically should the pro-life movement be holistically womb to tomb or narrowly womb <laughs> it's so bad I am anti-abortion. Actually, a lot of people are against abortion as continual surveys show among Americans. And people are against abortion for a lot of different reasons. Some politicians, for example, support uh, anti-abortion legislation in order to win votes and stay in office. 
Sometimes that is even the only way they seem to really oppose abortion, as shown when, in their real lives, they choose or even coerce abortion upon women they have impregnated. There's the former RNC deputy finance chairman who paid $1.6 million to a Playboy playmate um, with whom he had an affair after she aborted his child. And then there's the Pennsylvania Republican who resigned in 2017 after it was revealed that he had urged his own mistress to get an abortion. And then there's a Tennessee congressman who supported his ex-wife's two abortions before their marriage and then pressured his mistress, a 24-year-old patient of his uh, that he was having an affair with, to also get an abortion. So one can clearly vote against abortion but still not be pro-life. And you can also be against abortion because you think that women who choose to have sex ought to face the consequences for their choices or even be punished for their sexual activity. This is actually, I think, the implied view of those who would seek exceptions to abortion in the cases of rape, incest, or other kinds of assault. And that implies a view that says that women who have, chosen to have sex can't have access to the abortions that women who had sex against their will have. The basis of supporting abortion access in these cases belies a belief in the intrinsic value of every human life regardless of the circumstances of conception. And you can also be against abortion in the same way some men that I actually know won't get their dogs neutered because in such cases, they see this as some sort of hindrance against raw male sexuality, and they take it as a personal <laughs> insult, as they would also in abortion. No, one. And you can also be against abortion in the way that some political dictators throughout history have opposed abortion for some classes and groups of people, but not for others. In Nazi Germany, um, healthy Aryan women were prohibited from getting abortions, but women in other groups had abortions encouraged or even enforced upon them. Man, where's this And you going? can even <laughs> be against abortion for yourself, but not for others, as this we hear repeated very often words like, well, I wouldn't have an abortion, but... And you can be against abortion, as I am, and as I think most everyday people are, because your opposition is based on a truly pro-life ethic one that opposes abortion, not in order to gain political power, not to control women's sexuality, not to control the population in certain ways, but rather simply because you believe that innocent human beings have a right to life that no one has the moral authority to destroy. You don't even have to be a Christian to believe this. Just consider pro-life organizations and groups such as Secular Pro-Life or New Wave Feminists or Feminists for Life of America. But if you are a Christian who is pro-life, then a whole host of factors becomes or should become part of why we oppose abortion. Now, again, I have no problem being described as being anti-abortion because I am. In fact, decades ago, when I was much more heavily involved in the movement and there was a lot of debate and controversy over what terms should be used, particularly by the media um, in uh, covering the issue, I argued for the use of these terms because 
because of their specificity and because of their clarity and because of their truthfulness. But alas, we live in kind of a marketing age and branding is important. Um, and we have adopted the terms pro-life and the other camp pro-choice because they are much more marketable, much more pleasing. There's an interesting history of these terms. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the term pro-life first appeared in 1960 in a parenting manual and was adopted by more progressive people who were opposed to not just abortion, but also the death penalty. The term pro-life began to appear even before Roe versus Wade, um, yeah. as right to life groups were formed around the country. And when that ruling not, eventually dropped, the term pro-life was at the ready. And in to quote a man who may be great or may be insane, I'm going to let you finish, but this is the worst, the absolute low bar worst opening statement we have heard. And I do not think <laughs> it will be in any of the, these debates. I just this want to hear is, an argument, right? This like, is I, want to, I want to know where you're going. Yes, this is so bad. This is so... Because currently the definition of a truly pro-life ethic is innocent human beings have the right to life that no one has the right to destroy, which would be basically the pro-life position. And all right. of this is just random talking that has nothing to do with it. Um, oh, but, but it we does, come Matt. Oh, oh I it do. does. <laughs> I, I'm gonna pay for that. I know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for only having one white claw sit here if this keeps up. So here we go. Inter interestingly enough, uh, the pro-choice camp came up with their label in response to the pro-life term because it was so rhetorically brilliant um, that the abortion rights camp wanted to come up with something equally marketable and um, inviting. I think the pro-life camp one on this one. Um, it's hard to um, argue with being against life, much as people might try. So all this to say that we ought not to be ashamed of being against abortion. Abortion is the intentional and deliberate and premeditated um, taking but of an innocent it, human life. It might How could we before that? A little bit ashamed of my pro-life position. When I came to be pro-life many years ago, it was drilled into me that we were pro-life from womb to tomb. This meant that we opposed not only abortion, but also infanticide and euthanasia, anything that would be a direct physical attack against a human being. Michael, but between the womb and the tomb, uh -oh. there are countless ways to breed a culture of death, a go. spirit that is anti-life and therefore antichrist for most pro-life christians the principles that compel us to oppose abortion include a basic understanding based on biology not even religion or theology that a new human life is created when egg and sperm meet this is a discovery that was made in the 19th century as a result in part of uh, the technology of microscopes. It has been in medical textbooks since then and still remains in basic uh, biology textbooks that this is when a unique human entity is formed. That is the first principle for anyone in being pro-life. The second principle is the belief that all human beings are made in the image of God. This is essential for those of us who are Christians and forming our views on abortion. 
And the third principle for Christians who are pro-life is the further understanding woven throughout scripture that each human life is created by God, knitted together by him in the womb, and that every person is loved by him. And a fourth principle is that the highest purpose of human law is to protect human life. The taking of human life is licit only in very limited and defined circumstances, which of course continue to be debated today. And these are topics for another discussion, but they are still topics uh, that must be underpinned by the very principles that we're talking about today as we consider what it means to be pro-life. These principles that lead us to oppose abortion ought to be applied in our philosophy, our actions, our votes, and our lifestyles in every area that threatens the loss of a human life or human lives. And the failure to advocate against abortion based on these consistent life principles and the failure to also apply these principles clearly and consistently to other issues undermines principled opposition to abortion and therefore undermines a pro-life ethic as a whole. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Oh, man, buddy. Wow, everybody. Uh, I, she's given a, she's given your friend Scott a whole lot of room to work, Pastor Michael. I mean, because he can say whatever he wants at this point with after that not argument was made. Right. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess you could say that. I mean, so there's no argument being made. Um, her only uh, like at least the main thesis of what she said is theoretically just the pro-life position. Right. Just straightforward. Um, but as Amanda has just pointed out, <laughs> Uh, this actually is uh, clearly going to go beyond it, right? So it was right at the end, if you caught it, it was right at the end uh, where she put in that, okay, here are, the, here are these principles that we should use for our pro-life ethic. Um, and there might be some quibbling with those principles. Even if we take those and move forward with them, um, she, she then ended by saying that, uh, if we don't consistently apply those to other areas, leaving it very nebulous, right? But if we don't consistently yep. apply those principles to all different areas of life, then we undermine the pro-life position. Um, so, yep. uh, I mean, yeah, this is, uh, this will be interesting. And we all know that's, I mean, we all know where she's going, right? I mean, she's going to, what? If Let's you don't call. agree with certain progressive policies politically, then you're not actually pro-life. But Pastor Michael, let's all take a moment and ask ourselves, why would she leave it so nebulous? You know why? Because this is the Martin Bailey, because Scott Klusendorf, however, maybe he's a very good debater. I guess we're about to find out. I think he is. He is. No I mean, he's been in a lot of debates. It's very good. Very good. He can bring up a hundred potential policies. Are you saying we have to support this and this and this and this? And she can always go, no, 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 not that one or that. Right. Not exactly <laughs> like that or not that one, because she left it purely in the in the realm of nothing of 
that but there's a consistent way you have to live these out um and in my other concern with this position and then i will get back to pastor michael the actual way you would make this argument and i will ask you to respond to it because it's something you're preaching through my big concern is that basically even though she said emphatically over and over this wasn't her goal this will actually basically end opposition to abortion by christians because there's all these caveats and all these different things you need to go through to make sure you're doing it right right well don't be don't not so fast christian about to vote for someone who wants to appoint supreme court justices who would oppose uh overturn roe or oppose abortion in your state at this point what if they're not truly pro-life in their own life what if they're actually a scoundrel in their own life right, right. or or all of these all these principles or all these things we keep loading onto it is and this is why this is why i believe i'm sure scott is going to make this point pro life is a is a basically it is a political description of a movement of people who've who've taken this label i don't know exactly know where it came from but right this label that's been applied to a group of people who are opposing certain legal and illegal practices right that's that's what this is about and yeah. this this great desire to expand it into everything is is wrong right it is focusing on taking innocent life right yeah and it's, it's nobody's saying you can't hold other positions nobody's saying you can't like believe other things right. that you can't hold other positions that other things are wrong um this is right. just it's so obviously, and it, it always has been so obviously a tactic to get people to vote differently than they do, right? Like that's right. all it is um, because otherwise you, why would you have to just expand it? Why would you have to do that? I mean, what, seriously, what is the point of what you're doing? The only, you know, logical end of what you're trying to accomplish seems to me to be, we need to get these evangelicals to stop voting for republicans that's right. like that's what you're arguing to me and do you actually and i've said this and here's my free political advice to any democrat uh, any democrat political operatives watching do you want evangelicals to stop voting for republicans abandon all your positions on abortion and they you are going to get a ton of them and i'm not saying that's good or bad but i'm saying they would get a ton of evangelical vote if they would let this go yeah but you know what i think that's absolutely right and they won't right no so what does that tell you right what does it tell you and what does it tell you about all the progressive welfare policies that they supposedly have but they won't let this go that that yep. right what is happening um man i am i'm gonna be it's gonna hard to not just be lit the whole way through so i'm gonna take a <laughs> moment and i am gonna present this position to you michael the way i think actually a skilled debater would have done so and so i think where you would start is you would say the pro-life position is the necessary consequence of the command to not murder to not take innocent life you must not do that however we know christ even in um in the sermon on the mount applies that command to your heart to anger and pastor michael you are a presbyterian pastor who has who upholds 
the Westminster Shorter, Larger Catechism and the Confession of Faith. I'd like to turn with you to the Larger Catechism, where all the things that are forbidden and you must do, in fact, so I think the argument would be it's not enough to just not do murder or not do these things. You must go and go the opposite direction, which would be promoting human life, um, providing for human life. And you would must not and you must do that at every stage of every neighbor you have that you are able to. And so if you are legally able to do that with welfare, you must. That, my friend, is what you would call an argument. That is how you would yeah. argue for them. Yeah, I, and actually, and this is so um, even in a lot of the things she said, they're not necessarily wrong things. Right. A lot of the things she said are perfectly fine things. Um there was some of it about neutering dogs that was a little weird, but but other than that, uh, like there yeah, was there was a lot of things that she said that was generally okay. the <laughs> The problem is what she's trying to do, right? Like the problem is what we just said. The problem is not, hey, there are more things that we should be concerned about about than just this issue. That's fine. Hey, um, there are other ethical dilemmas that we face that we should apply the pro-life ethic to. I'm even fine with that. Totally fine. Yes, I do subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger catechism. Uh, I am preaching through the Ten Commandments right now, and shortly we'll get to uh, you shall not murder. And we'll talk about some of those things. Um, so there, there are responsibilities that we have as Christians uh, not just in not taking life, but also in preserving life. That's all fine. That's not what she's saying. That's not what she's doing. That's not how she's going to apply it. I guarantee it. That's not how she's right. going to apply it. Uh, she's going to take this again as a, we don't have to vote for Republicans. You guys should stop voting for Republicans. In fact, look at all these bad Republicans who have bad morals in their personal lives. That's, that's a bad thing. And so you should vote for the people that love the blood sacrament of abortion <laughs> like that. That's where we're heading. And and so or at least that that should be one among many pro-life considerations you get. And obviously, here's why that isn't a good argument, because if you can't get don't kill people right in your political platforms, it's all over. Like it's yeah. done. How There's no more. Right? You you, te you tell me that there's somebody who thinks that it's totally fine to uh, just destroy the life of a child in the womb, but they really care about mothers, but they really care about providing the funds that that person needs to survive. I don't believe it for a second, right? I don't believe it for a second. And if we put this in any other terms, right? If you have the guy who's beating his wife every night and he was like, you know what? I know that I do that, um, but I'm really, I really think it's it's bad when there there is animal cruelty going on, and I would mm. never neuter my dog, <laughs> right? Like I would never do anything to harm my animal, and I should be put in charge of whatever kinds of policies we have against uh, against harming animal life. You would rightly say that's a kind of hypocrisy that goes so deep that I can't trust you on anything else. That's, mm. that's what abortion is, right? Like anytime we try to 
um, talk about abortion like it is it is less evil than it actually is. I mean, it is it is a high order sin, right? It is a high order rebellion. It is it is not something that should just be put next to. Well, how should we use the budget in this area of the government spending? That's just it's not even close to what we're talking right. about. Right. And I think that, again, if you get this argument or you get like the argument I made, the question starts becoming, what is the role of the state in all of these e efforts to protect life or promote life? What is the responsibility of the individual Christian? What is the responsibility of the church? What are sins? What are crimes? Right. And that would be an actually difficult and substantive position to have to work through. Right. That would I, I mean, I, I grant that, like, there would be actual probably nuance and difficulty to work through some of those questions yeah. that may not uh, be as neat and tidy. But that is certainly not what we got. We barely got we got an argument in the last 30 seconds of that. And the rest of it, we got some weird stories, especially the one about the neutering dogs and and the and un unchecked male sexual which is why some people oppose abortion i just learned so all right here we go uh in pastor michael's corner scott klusendorf i don't know if i'm saying his name correctly joe found the young girl unconscious in her upstairs closet by the time he arrived the structure was a raging inferno no one else dared go inside scooping up the girl he took his only exit out a second story window into the thorn bushes below. The girl lived, but Joe sustained two broken ankles and a lot of scratches and an avalanche of questions from those who didn't lift a finger to save the girl. The media wanted to know how he planned to pay for the girl's food, clothing, health care now that he had rescued her. A pastor asked if what he was doing to killing fight the inner city poverty <laughs> was reflected in the way he saved the girl. The social justice coordinator at a local parish insisted that if Joe truly cared about saving lives, he'd care about all life, including refugees, immigrants, the poor, those that were disadvantaged. And finally, a local congressman wanted to know if Joe really boss. cared about saving lives, start. would he support tax increases aimed at fire prevention? Joe just kept looking at the girl. I want to talk about this topic. What does it mean to be pro-life? And I'll tell you why this is significant, men and women. The definition of what it means to be pro-life has been twisted. Historically, pro-life is man. You were pro-life for the life of the unborn. Pro-choice meant you were pro-choice on the question of abortion. What has happened is the term pro-life has now been changed from pro-life in the womb to quality of life outside the womb. In fact, some of our own leaders have adopted this language. There we go. We are told, for example, that in order to be truly pro-life, we need to switch from, quote, pro-life, unquote, to whole life. As one pro-life leader put it, it is troubling that we are more concerned about the unborn and not equally concerned 
for genocide in Danfer, not equally concerned about refugees, immigrants, and sex trafficking. We need to be, as she put it, as passionate, as engaged on those issues as we are life in the womb. And if we aren't, we are betraying our fundamental pro-life principles. Now, keep in mind something here. This is not an attack on individual pro-lifers where we say to pro-lifers, you're not doing enough as much as it is an attack on pro-life organizations saying that your operational objectives must now reflect a whole life perspective. And if it doesn't, you aren't really pro-life in your organizational operational objectives. Now, let me say up front, as Christians, our ethic should be broad and inclusive. As a Christian, I should care about sex trafficking. I should care about refugees. I should care about immigrants. And if I'm not, there's something wrong in my Christian worldview. James is very clear that godliness entails caring for the widow, caring for those who are in need. But it does not follow from this, men and women, that the operational objectives of the pro-life movement must be broad and inclusive as well. And the point I want to argue today is simply this, that pro-life organizations should resist, indeed must resist, any attempt by those who label themselves whole life to rewrite the operational objectives of the pro-life movement. And I want to go over five reasons why. Number one, that attempt to rewrite unfairly puts demands on battle-weary pro-life advocates. Number two, they have to take responsibility operationally, organizationally, for everything else that's wrong in society. Imagine if your church opened a daycare center in downtown Philadelphia, and you cared about violence to children, and your church, in response to that, said, you know, we're going to open up a daycare center only on school days, three hours a week, for kids that are under the age of 12, so that moms can come home in the inner city and just have a little time to get supper ready, have a little time to get squared away, catch their wits before the kids come home. Imagine your church at great expense opens that daycare center and a critic knocked on your door and said, you know, you don't really love kids because if you did, you would treat all kids. You wouldn't just be open for elementary age kids. You would care for all kids. And by the way, high school kids have problems too, you know. Oh, and not only that, what are you doing about gun violence in the inner city? What are you doing about the fact that there's too many criminals running around doing gang-like activity? And what are you doing to relieve the poverty that is underneath all this violence to begin with? You don't care about kids. You just care about one group of kids. Anybody that said that to your pastor is out of his mind. And yet that is precisely what pro-life advocates hear day after day after day in the media. And we shouldn't stand for it. It is an unfair job description that's being placed on us. Secondly, it's false moral equivalency. In terms of the evil done, can we just be honest for a moment here? What possible issue is there 
in American culture today that comes close to 62 million human beings being intentionally killed since Roe v. Wade. Let me give that number a reference point for you. That's the Holocaust times 10. That's Yankee Stadium filled 1,143 times over. What possible evil is equivalent to that to where, as one pro-life leader mentioned a moment ago, we should be as passionate about those other issues as we are that 62 million. Abortionist Warren Hearn describes it well. He says, let's be honest about what abortion is. There is no longer a way to deny what's going on. The sensations of dismemberment flow through the forceps like an electric current. What possible issue is more important than that one? Of course there are other issues, just like beating Hitler in 1944 was not the only issue, just like opposing slavery wasn't the only issue in 1860, but both were the dominant issues of their time, and Christians were right to give greater weight to those issues. Thirdly, the whole life approach overlooks the distinction between Christian ethics and operational objectives. The leader of a major pro-life organization that oversees pregnancy centers says that the pro-life movement as a whole, not just pregnancy centers as a whole, must shift from being pro-life to, quote, pro-abundant life, that saving babies is not enough. He says, and I quote him here, we must programmatically devote operational resources to, and here's the things he lists, build strong families, promote healthy marriages, secure religious liberty, encourage responsible fatherhood, help families thrive spiritually. You know what just happened to pro-life organizations? They were just given a back-breaking job description that even Superman can't fulfill. Hmm. And what does this look like in the real world? When I go speak on abortion, do I get to spend five minutes on abortion, and then I got to spend five minutes on fatherhood, then I got to spend five minutes on helping families thrive spiritually? I mean, this all sounds really good until you try to work it out in the real world. I do have a way forward, though. As pro-life advocates, we ought to link rhetorically to other issues. We should use issues like the civil rights issue, like the treatment of Emmett Till, the 14-year-old African-American boy that was lynched by racists in the 1950s. We should use parallel issues to demonstrate that the treatment of human beings made in the image of God, that treatment, when it's a Holocaust when its mistreatment should not be tolerated. But we can't link organizationally. It will bankrupt pro-life organizations. Last two points, it's not going to convert our critics. Suppose the pro-life movement does everything our critics are asking us. We take on all those other issues. Will they become pro-life? Not in a billion years. I've been speaking pro-life professionally for 32 years, and never once when I've called the bluff of a critic who said, you don't really care about life, when I called their bluff and said, okay, for the sake of argument, I'll do everything you want, not once will they then agree to become pro-life. 
Because yep. in reality, what they believe is that abortion is a fundamental right. If that's their true belief, they should defend that, not change the subject. And by the way, it's not pro-lifers who don't care for kids after they're born. It's pro-abortionists. They're the ones who won't even protect kids after they're born who survive abortion procedures. The Senate in New York wouldn't do it. The U.S. Senate here wouldn't do it. They're the ones who don't care about kids after they're born, not pro-lifers. Pro-lifers actually do care. Pregnancy centers outnumber abortion clinics nearly three to one in America today. They are paid for by people like you, like me, who give sacrificially with no funding from the government at all. My colleague, Mark Newman, puts it well. He says individuals and organizations that make it their exclusive mission to save these children from a culture hell-bent on butchering them have nothing to apologize for. They don't need additional causes. They need additional support. Yeah. Wow. He slayed it. Wow. Am wow. I right? I mean, he slayed he, it. He was easily, he, he has easily been the best, like the de actual debater that we've seen. By far. Yeah. And, and he is, by I mean, far. he is a professional debater. I mean, he does this and he does it with uh, a much more hostile audience. Usually um, you can look up some of his debates uh, in, in other places where he uh, actually debates, you know, people who are pro abortion. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely slayed it i guess we will see what yeah man i'm pretty nervous about how the moderator is going to handle, handle <laughs> this one i'm pretty nervous about that uh because what he should do is be like well uh so uh scott won and uh he made <laughs> a series. he should he just made... right turn to ksp and be like so are you gonna say anything of value <laughs> Can you give us so anything Scott, or do you agree that you are wrong? You <laughs> made a very clear thesis demonstrated by a very good analogy and then supported it with five very clear arguments. So um, uh, I guess that's what we have to go off, right? All right, um, we're done, everybody. Let's just uh, give more money to uh, these organizations. <laughs> yep. So let me, Wait, how let me much highlight. Wait, did we spend to, to make these debates? <laughs> oh, maybe. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe we could use more of that for the pro-life cause. Yeah, let me highlight just a few things I think he did um, that he that he highlighted that I think was very good. I think the, the best thing um, he highlighted is the argument that, I mean, she didn't make, but we're assuming she's making because yeah. it's what she's hinting at, uh, is that she's equating quality of life with, like murder with the taking of human life and that these two things cannot be considered the same thing yes um, yeah that's i think so, that's that very... was so good to just to yeah. lay it out plainly that's what he was he was so good at that laying it out directly and plainly so that we have the actual ideas that we're discussing here uh, because we didn't get that we got some emotional argumentation we got some some, you know, linking of this position to that of immoral Republicans or or others. Um, but he was able to just say, OK, here's what we're talking about. Uh, and to put it in those terms, man, 
yeah, it like this is not at all what we're discussing. And if it is what we're discussing, if quality of life is as important as uh, whether somebody is murdered or not, then we've stepped into the pro-abortion position, right? One, right. Of, one of the primary arguments uh, that people use for abortion is, well, this person, they won't have a great life, right? Well, they'll grow up poor, right? They'll right. grow up in poverty, so we should kill them instead. That's one of the primary arguments that you'll hear from people. That You've, you've entered into that argument and assumed the validity, the validity of it if you're saying that quality of life is just as important as whether or not somebody lives at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think the other thing he said that was like the, who was his, as I thought about this, as he was talking, I realized who are both of their arguments geared towards? Who is the person that um, their argument is designed to work on? And um, who is the person that's the big problem? In his position, the big problem are this group of pro-life leaders who are who are leading these organizations, and he's worried they're going to waste money that was raised for this. They're going to get distracted with other things, right? He's concerned about, right, all of these. They're going to be discouraged, uh, right, those who are yeah. doing the work because people just keep, you know, people who are supposedly Christians who agree that, you know, being pro-life is good, but also you got to do all these other things. Right. So he's trying to take out this this negative influence over Christians that would prevent them from being able to just be confident and bold and thankful for what God has given them and thankful for whatever amount of money and prayer they give to support pro-life ministries. Who is KSP's uh, um, rhetoric targeted at? It was targeted at pro-life politicians christians who don't live out the pro-life ethic enough right it was targeted at every single person who like it was just targeted at the normal christian normal christian people who you know uh all of these things together and that is i mean again i just think it it's just bad as to quote captain hook that is bad form to yeah to go about that way um so <laughs> we just watched that by the way we just watched oh, that man. as a family what a, what, a, what a classic uh so is there anything because uh, again yeah let me say too he i think did a really good job at making clear how gross it is to argue in the way that ksp is Right. Like just how how um, like actually wrong it is. And a lot of times these people, let's say that there's not a just an actual bad faith effort and they're not just acting as a political operative because they want to be, you know, um, taken more seriously in certain uh, circles of people that don't vote like the evangelicals that they're around all the time. Let's just say that's not their reasoning for this. And I don't know if it is. I just assume it is a lot of the time. Let's assume that they actually think that this is true. They're living in complete idealism, right? Like, I, you know, show me your life. Are you acting in every one of these areas? I guarantee they're not. 
I guarantee that they're not acting to cover all of these different things because you simply can't. And yet they will criticize those who are actively doing something right, something good. And that is really, it's really gross. Like it's, it's actually just wrong to do this. Um, it's even like, I'm saying if you have good, <laughs> if you are doing this in good faith, it is, uh, it is really poor and, and uh, gross. And I don't know a better word for it. It's, it is, um, it's horrible. So yeah, I think he did a great job of laying that out and making that so clear right from the start, right? His, his point right from the start. Okay. This yeah. guy saved this girl from this burning house. Um, what, but what, what else is he going to do? You would never, right. you would never do that. And if anybody did that, we would say they are crazy, right? We, we would say they are like clearly a bad person. And yet in this case, we say, oh, this is totally, yeah. I mean, this is totally fine. Is We're just talking the- about children. We're just talking about children. So it's totally right. fine. To t- it's a political issue, Matt. It's a political issue. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll, uh, let's watch a little more of this. Let's see. Let's see what the opening line from our moderator friend would be. Um, I think I would be a much more fun moderator on these. <laughs> I, think that would, I think there would be, uh, I think everyone would have a better time. Well, I appreciate both of you and your arguments. And before I ask any questions, I just really want to say thank you for the ways that you have devoted your life to the unborn. Uh, our, our church actually has an abortion clinic almost directly across the street. And so hearing you two speak, it just really, I'm really thankful for the logic and the effort and the, the prayers that you bring behind this movement. Again, we're doing, we're doing the TGC start where we have to start with, I'm so glad we're all on the same team. These are all totally allowable positions. The, neither of these are detrimental to anything. Right. Right. That we, that we just get, have to start there. But one of these is not like the other, right? I mean, one of these is a critic. One of these has devoted their life to saving the unborn. Now, <laughs> maybe, maybe he's going to start with. Now, I want to start with you, Karen, because your position wasn't like like the other. That, <laughs> mad props if that's what comes out of Jim's mouth. Karen, I'm going to start with you. You did a great job of fleshing out what a consistently pro-life position means for the unborn based on the doctrine of the Imago Dei being made in the image of God. You You said at the end of your argument that failure to apply these principles consistently to other issues fundamentally undermines principled opposition to abortion. Can you give some examples of what this kind of failure looks like and explain, maybe flesh out, a little more how that undermines a pro-life ethic. Hey, I think this is the exact right question. Mm-hmm. Can we can we just say like because good it's job? The one substantive thing that she said, right? This is actually the only thing that she argued her whole position and her whole opening statement. This is the one thing she actually argued. I would so I would like to congratulate the moderator. This is the exact right question. Now you asked it in a very, very nice way. Um but you asked it. So good. Good. I don't you don't need to have my personality, but you asked the question I want asked. 
Sure. Well, I think I gave some negative examples of in the beginning in my in my talk about how you can be opposed to abortion for reasons that are not based on on um, a view of of human beings being made in the image of God. And I think that you know, I actually Scott kind of took away my my first point that I wanted to make that I so agree with him. I do think that. Um, that even just rhetorically, if we link these issues, you know, I, I teach English. So for me, it's not just rhetoric, right? Words have meaning, they have power. And so it's not just rhetorical to make those links. I think there's a great deal of power in the way that we speak about the lives of anyone that is inconvenient, is a burden, um, is an alien, is a stranger, um, is need something from us. And that's not just the unborn. That's many people um, in, in the world, in our neighborhoods and in our communities. We all have, have different ones who might, um, in our circumstances, meet those definitions. And I think that the way we talk about any people who have a need, who, whom we don't understand, who is a burden or a potential burden or a threat, uh, if we don't put at the foremost of our um, concern about them, our concern about issues connected to them, uh, the fact that they are beloved by God and made in his image, then we've already lost all of these battles. And so I th I do think in many ways this is um, a rhetorical battle. I think that many people who see um, pro-lifers as being inconsistent and, um, and being hypocritical um, not the ones who won't be converted, because I know that they're... Let me just go ahead and let me pause for just a moment. Uh, the question was, what specific issues would you would you think of this applies to? And uh, we'll come back around because we we uh, we have not gotten a specific issue yet. So uh, we'll just All we'll rhetoric. give her a little more, a little more time. There are many like that. I've always said that there are you know two kinds of pro-choice people ignorant and wicked um and so there are people who are kind who are who are ignorant or who have been misled or or led astray or are confused um or haven't thought through the issues i know i was one of them and i think that the way we talk about any human being um who is it you know facing one of these issues or or having an effect on our life that that we we fear or or don't know how to deal with um, that we lo we lose the battle for abortion when we treat any of these people without um, the dignity, even even in our rhetoric and our posture, um, that matters a lot. And I, you know, I I work with young people. I'm out on social media. Um, I'm seeing uh, a rising generation of of Christians who are who are skeptical, um, and I think that you know we can still win them over to this issue, um, but we have to show them that we really believe what we say. So I want to pull on that thread just a little. Okay. He's going to pull on the thread. Cause Good. I hope he's Good. going to say, I, I don't know if there hey, was a thread. <laughs> hey, Karen, you didn't answer my question. I, but I don't even think uh, pastor Michael, maybe, you know, I don't know if our listening audience has grasped in that, how truly bad an answer that was, by the way, I literally at this point, uh, am going to read a verse from the Bible because I'm getting such, I'm getting such bad vibes. Here's my verse, Colossians two eight. Everybody, this would be a good one to memorize. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces rather than the Word of Christ. Right? 
because I, at this point, what we are hearing is pure sophistry. Pure. Yeah, that's exactly just, the word I was going to use. Yeah, tell me why you were why we're thinking the exact same word of describing yeah, so what's happening. The the sophist, uh, by the way. So when you uh, you know uh, read from Plato about Socrates and his just like deep hatred of sophistry and sophistry being basically the greatest possible evil. Sophistry is this idea. The sophists were those who could uh, rhetorically spin anything. They could speak in a way that made anything sound good. It didn't matter what the position was. It didn't matter if it was true or not. It didn't matter if it had any uh, grounding in reality. Uh, and this was seen uh, by by Plato, Socrates, you know, however you want to take that, um, as like the greatest possible evil. And he was pretty close to right, I think, <laughs> because it is the ability to just use words in order to defend nothing or to defend what is wicked, but make it sound as though it's true. Um, that is a, a really, really wicked thing. Um, this, you know, you got to think about it in terms of the nature of reality that um, the world is made by words. Our words are supposed to cohere with the word of God in nature and scripture. So when we use words in a way that just floats around, right? That just, it doesn't do anything. It's all rhetoric. And that's the, that's what's so um, maddening about what she just did is that she spent the whole time talking about the problem of just rhetoric and how this is all about rhetoric. Uh, and then she just used rhetoric uh, and didn't get anywhere, didn't say anything specific. And so what we have is we have somebody who says, listen, I'm an English teacher. I like words and, you know, rhetoric is important. And if we use certain rhetoric, maybe we can win people to our position. And Scott Klusendorf is like, I'm going to give my life to save as many babies as I can. Right. That's the, that's the difference here. When you're talking about what matters in the pro-life movement, well, you want to look at the person that's actually being, acting, doing what is pro-life, you know, <laughs> like, and that should be consistent with their words. Uh, but to just use words doesn't matter. I mean, that's you. Yeah, it's just really bothersome. Right. She mentioned. So, right. She starts with, I want to agree with Scott. We should link this issue to other issues. However, it, we should all notice it's the exact backwards position. Scott is saying appeal to someone's sense of justice. Right. Like because we can all think of an example. Someone can bring up an example where someone has been killed who was innocent who didn't deserve to be right and there are you know like and i'm sure when scott is making these arguments to hostile audiences he picks which one is ever hot in the media and he brings it up and he says so you're mad about that but you're not mad about this insane amount of evil that we've justified for decades right she's saying link it to other issues and let me be let me give some specific quotes of how we can link it to how we treat aliens and strangers and anyone who needs anything from us, anyone we don't understand or who may be a threat to us. We need to be concerned about them and their well-being or we have already lost the battle. She says we've we literally lose the battle if if we don't do this insane nebulous thing. In fact, 
people who are threats to us are basically a threat to like what we're saying is they're a threat to life. I, I <laughs> it was just oh. and it was it was and this idea oh, that it, if yeah, I had not so, been eating if I had not been eating pie this whole time, this would be a pretty rough night. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Well, that made me it's that made me pretty happy, but uh but yeah, this is just so I'm, bad. I'm, I don't have any pie. Quick, someone send me pie because I don't have any. Because by the end, when we get to it's all about rhetoric, do you know what she is now making a moral equivalency to? This is the mean tweets argument. This is the mean things, the not speaking about people in the right way is the true pro-life crisis of our time. Oh, are you Are you well, joking? What, like, so that's absurd. And again, it's gross because you are holding that up in moral equivalency with actually trying to stop people from murdering children. Like, that's what's yes. crazy about it. Your tone those is all those wrong. aren't moral equivalents, right? Like those are not equivalent. Right. Your tone is all wrong while you try and save babies. Right. I I it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And I guarantee the I I I think we need a new thing. I'm about to invent a new thing on an argument in these things i think if you're in a christian debate the first person to use trump's name loses the argument like we used to do with hitler i think that's where we are now in uh christian debates because i i'm waiting i am waiting for that so all right let's let's let our moderator keep prodding keep going jim say you didn't give an pull example all right let's pull on that thread of nothingness and see what else we can pull from it <laughs> unravel the sophistry please <laughs> Jim, don't let anyone be... Would you please say something? And by the way, again, so one of the reasons we're saying it's sophistry is because she never gave an actual thing that you would do, right? So Scott Klusendorf is standing up for those who do actual things, right? They are actively starting uh, pregnancy centers. They are standing out of abortion clinics. They're trying to legislate in ways to uh, get rid of abortion. They're doing all... They're doing things, and she's saying, well, we need to do other things. And the question is, what are those things? Tell us what they are. And even the things that she said were still very nebulous. They're not specific. There's nothing that you've given us in exchange. Well, it's, you know, it's concern about the well-being of strangers and anyone we don't understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Please, please, Jim, let no one of the TGC audience be taken captive by empty philosophy or deceit. A little more, because you gave some some examples, like you said, euthanasia and, and some others. Uh, in the recent years, people have really pushed into the racial conversation as a part of being a pro-life, part of the pro-life holistically movement. Uh, what do you say to that? I mean, I, I think that that's central. Scott brought up slavery, which our country, that was the pressing issue for our country um, a, a century and a half ago. And there, there are obviously huge differences between these two issues, but there are some strong parallels. So, for example, um, if one were simply against the institution of slavery, um, but not for the image of God, of uh, these um, African Americans that were either, you know, kidnapped and, and brought here or were um, 
born here because of earlier kidnappings. Um, if, if we just simply uh, oppose the institution of slavery and set these people free with no care for them, no love, love for them, no concern for what happens next, um, then we would be in a, the same situation that we're in about abortion if we just want to outlaw abortion and not provide any support. And I think that we are actually seeing some of the results of of opposition to <laughs> slavery that really uh, wasn't holistic. Um, we're still dealing with those ripple effects today. So just to be clear, to follow that logic, we should not way, have we should yeah, not oh, have stopped the institution of slavery. That's that yeah. is the end of what she just said. She it's it's like she doesn't realize it, but based on what she just said, she wishes that we had not ended slavery in the United States because it was not accompanied with a full holistic view on how to better treat people who are made in the image of God. Be, okay, like if you go back, if you know your history, you know that uh, the the North, the federal government and the North, um, they were not freeing the slaves because they had a holistic view on the full equality of African-Americans. That's just, yeah. that wasn't true. There may have been some, right? I mean, there were some people uh, that really did. There, there weren't a lot, right? The North was known to be pretty much just as racist, just in different ways. Um, they just didn't maybe have the institution of slavery. They were still benefiting from it, by the way. Um, the North was benefiting from it. And then it just became the kind of deal where maybe they don't benefit as much anymore. So uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things. <laughs> if you go back to that analogy that oh, it's you would just say, she's saying that she wants slavery, but right. But <laughs> But Pastor Michael, it's even worse. It wasn't an analogy. That was her specific, her specific issue where the pro-life <laughs> ethic is needed to be extended to an issue that ended like nearly two hundred years ago in this country. Oh, man, I just, I almost, so, I seriously so, almost can't believe that she just said what she said. I, I almost can't, can't believe it. it. I really can't. I truly can't <laughs> believe it. I mean, again. Jim, that was not the best way to ask the question. I mean, at least you tried to attempt to give her some kind of issue to talk about because clearly she doesn't want to help her. <laughs> he was trying to help her. Um, but but this idea that man, I just like let me let me try and turn this into a moment where we can say something positive, or I am just gonna have a complete, like complete meltdown. Here's here is what we're thinking about. This is this, and this is a problem. This is a way some people think. This is a way that we can tend to think as Christians. As we think about murder, as it goes down to our heart, as we think about adultery, as it goes down to lust, right? As we think about how these things are rooted in our heart, we have this tendency to make an like we equivocate things. We go, wow. The ending of slavery in America, the Emancipation Proclamation, wasn't that great because you know what it didn't do? And this was kind of her argument. It didn't end racism in people's hearts. Do you know how bad a position that is? Like, well, we were unable to end racism in people's hearts. So I guess 
emancipation and Juneteenth wasn't that great, everybody. Go ask anyone who whose choices were slavery or like, well, we might keep it around until we can end racism in everyone's hearts. No, of course not. Of course, we understand this. This is where we need this understanding that the state and it's and the the what God has ordained it to do to protect justice and protect people, including um, including people who are unjustly enslaved, including those who are unborn. Their job isn't to change human hearts. Their job is to administer justice. It is the job of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel to do the other things. And, and yes, there are going to be the, can you imagine like when we are well, think about the fallout we've had from slavery. Can you imagine what the actual fallout on our culture and society is going to be from abortion in 200 years? Right. Yeah. Imagine being able to say with a straight face as if you were holding a morally superior opinion, which is what she thinks she's doing. Imagine saying something like, well, we can't stop uh, that woman and that doctor from destroying the life of this child uh, because they don't yet fully agree to our position, right? Hey, we can't stop a murderer because he hasn't come around to understand why his actions are not right, why he should not act out in anger this way. Or No, or, you or, stop it, right? Like you stop, you stop these evil things, these wicked things, um, and it's okay if they don't yet know why, right? If somebody who wants to kill their own child is mad that you won't let them kill their child, it doesn't matter, right? Like their opinion does not matter in this case. What matters is justice. What matters is what's right. That's, if we lose that, right? If we lose that in this kind of a debate where we say, yeah, it's totally fine to have Karen Swallow Pryor's opinion. Um, that is that is to wreak absolute moral havoc on how we understand actual justice. And so the only good news with that is it's impossible to have her opinion because she has no opinion. She just has words. So, I mean, uh, it is, it's bad. And, then, and when he, this is the worst ended, one we've watched, by the way, this is the worst one we've watched. It's it's fascinating because we have the worst and presentation the we've heard and the best. And Jim, you were, I was, I was congratulating you. You did finish what she said with, well, that's helpful. That it was wasn't. probably why <laughs> I imagine you confessed that to the Lord later. <laughs> like, man, I, I, I told you have white to imagine lion. that part of him is just not even listening. You know what I mean? Like, I when you're in that position, you're not even listening to what they're saying. You've got your questions and you're just like, yep. uh-huh. Yeah. Great point. Yep. And then moving you're on right. this, let me tell um, a quick story uh, to, uh, about that happening. That will embarrass my wife really quick. There was one time that we were on a, a ferry ride out to Orcas Island off the, the coast of Washington, the Pacific Northwest. And um, it was beautiful. This was for our honeymoon. And we sat down on this, on this uh, ferry. And it was about maybe an hour long or 45 minutes or something like that. And, and this guy sits down across from us with his uh, girlfriend. And he was a bigger guy. And he had a hat on. I mean, 
if even if he didn't have a hat on, you would know that this guy smokes weed. <laughs> but he also had a hat on that said something like, you know, something marijuana championship. Or I mean, it was it was like a championship hat, but for something having to do with marijuana. And mm-hmm. we got talking with them, and you know, just uh, you know, discussing things a little bit. Why are you going out here? What's going on? And the guy was like, "Well, we're just like we just kind of picked up and decided maybe we want to move to Orcas Island." Um, and w- my wife was like, oh, wow, you can just do that. What do you do for work? And he kind of looked around and he said something lo- you know, like, oh, I sell pot. Uh, I sell weed, you know, and I can do it anywhere in this legal state. And my wife couldn't un- like it didn't register what he said. And so my wife was like, oh, cool. <laughs> she she, she was like, oh, my sweet, like, innocent Christian yeah. wife was like, oh, cool to the to the weed dealer sitting across from us. It was so funny. All right. <laughs> That's well, what we'll just happened. Clip. That's what let's, just happened. Let's clip that. Let's clip that. That is what just happened. <laughs> uh, like this video if you like that story. Uh, we're trying to get this video to get some likes. So let's keep watching. Uh, maybe we'll get another story like that from Pastor Michael before we end tonight. Scott, you differentiate, and I thought really effectively, between uh, what it means to be pro-life organizationally and what it means to have a Christian ethic, and you you distinguished those two things. And you did that, as you explained, to um, maintain the main purpose of the pro-life movement and the purity of of that purpose, and I appreciate that. There are people who use that argument to avoid wading into other Imago Day issues, things that you might put under the Christian ethic. Can I, can I ask Imago you one? Day issues. Can I ask like you this? what? <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you this quick question? Do you get suspicious of what's coming out of someone's mouth next when they use the term Imago Day to describe <laughs> humans? Or, or Especially uh, when they say Imago Day issues. <laughs> what in the world... Are you talking? Just be specific. Give us something, you know? Here comes. Let's hear what he's, let's, let's hear what's specifically on his mind. It, it, Uh, not wanting to wade into race issues or other kinds of um, injustices in this world. I mean, because that argument is used, what would you say to that? Well, I've never heard that argument, but I'll go with it because you, you raised it. All right. What a, oh man, just boom. Every time. So good. He's so good. Well, let's, uh, so <laughs> he just really, did. Do you think that what's really going on is the debate is, hey, shouldn't we make pro-life a nebulous word like in Mongo Day issues? Like why, <laughs> why are we allowing any of our words to mean anything? Can't we just make it's, them all mean nothing? <laughs> is there a way t- to make this a racial reconciliation issue? Because that's. <laughs> That's the one thing apparently the TGC audience is is coming here for. Uh, man, but way to go, Scott. Way to bring the meme in. No one. Absolutely no one. No one. This question. People trying to get out of other things out of for the sake of this. Look, if there's a Christian out there who says, I don't have to be concerned about real racism. I'm not talking about attributed racism that is part of a worldview that doesn't match the biblical view. I'm talking about real racism. Look, if there's real racism, we need to do two things. Number one, repent of it and address it. That's a given. Uh, If you are a Christian and you don't care 
individually about sex trafficking, and you don't care about the fact that there's refugees with kids who have diseases that can't be treated. Let's go ahead and make a quick pause on this sex trafficking thing. You know, it's interesting, the people who made that movie about sex trafficking, the Christians who made that movie, released it, beat Indiana Jones in the garbage new one or whatever it's called. Um, man, it's interesting that the people who are also pro-abortion are the people saying, no, nah, this movie's trash. Like, get this out of here. This movie isn't yeah. good. We shouldn't support this. We don't want this. Hollywood refuses to distribute it. Wow, it's so weird that... Uh, it's just it's just an interesting it's just a it's just an interesting counterexample. I, I'm sure it has nothing to do with anything, though, that are bored. Yeah, Something's uh, wrong with your moral compass. And has has anybody asked uh, KSP if she's gone to see The Sound of Freedom yet? Ooh, that is a good question. <laughs> I will confess to our audience. I have not seen it. Yet, I haven't either. I would uh, really like to. I don't know if I'll be able to because I'm a busy guy with a bunch of kids and going to the movie theater is not easy. But I, I honestly have thought about buying a ticket based on what I've heard. I've thought about buying a ticket just to buy a ticket just because I want to support mm -hmm. it. But I also don't want to do that. <laughs> so, If anything, you could just, you know, buy buy one of the streaming copies when it comes to that, you know. But... And your heart needs help that we can say all that. But but here's the real debate. What's being said by our critics is not that individual pro-life Christians are not being holistic enough. They're blaming our movement as a whole for not being that. And I am not going to go for that. Uh, I am open to somebody saying, Scott, um, I'm not seeing lived out in you your pro-life convictions the way I think biblically should be. And that's why we all need to be part of a local church, because we all need to be open to that kind of correction. Boom again. We are blind. We don't see things we ought to see. But to say to a movement dedicated to saving children, you're not doing enough. To say to people, in some cases, who for 50 years at great personal expense have lost their homes uh, because they were praying in front of a clinic, they're not allowed to earn an income. To say to them, well, you're not really pro-life, because you're not taking on all these other issues. I just find that supremely arrogant. And I'm not talking here about what Karen said. I'm talking about yeah, our critics is. Come on, on Scott. Just the say outside who really level this kind of charge. So I can make that distinction. And maybe there are some who abuse it, who use it as an excuse, but it doesn't follow that the, the, the distinction isn't a good one. Well, I appreciate I, the way. So he, he, go ahead. Uh, can I just say, um, if somebody is using the fact that they are um, actively involved in saving children from abortion as an excuse to not worry about doing other things, that doesn't bother me. That I don't like, should it bother me? Because I don't care if they're doing that good work. I'm okay with it. And if they don't have the exact right balance in their life of how they should think about something else, I don't care. Right. When, when uh, when Paul says there are people that preach the gospel uh, because of selfish ambition, but I'm just happy the gospel is being preached. That's how I feel about this. I, it does not bother if they are actually doing the work of saving children from abortion. I don't care that they're not exactly balanced in how they see other issues. So, Pastor Michael, does that mean are you saying that if there was a politician 
who was doing truly pro-life things in the legislature, but you found out they were kind of a scoundrel that that would evidently not matter to you. Yeah, it would not be the first time that God has used uh, wicked civil authorities to do really good things, uh, you know, that that hit, the people of God can rejoice at. Yeah, so he did pull one punch when he said, I'm not talking about what Karen said, though he he, he kind of clearly, <laughs> he clearly is. But again, we all know he's trying to be nice and he's in a situation where they, like he has to be nice. So where, it, where it's a high expectation that he's nice. But again, he makes this great clarification. Of course, it's possible there are individual pro-lifers who are bad or or have problems, character issues, are not doing the things they should. There could be a racist pro-lifer, right? All these kinds of things. Um but what he's saying is what people are the the target of this are not these individuals and their negative character flaws. The target is the movement itself. This is another way. This is a backhand attack at the movement. And that is what you and I have been getting at. Again, because he's doing so good, he's he's putting the things we say to shame. And it's obviously not useful for us to like try and improve on what he said because he's doing such a good job but that's the point this is the this is the entire like when people talk about if you're a listener and you you sometimes hear or see people talk about this where people talk about always punching right right that there's this there's this weird desire that we always punch right and we um we kiss left right that is what they're talking about this is a argument that attacks actual pro-life activism on a whole and not calling out errors within um yeah so again I, I think that that is also a helpful distinction well pastor michael we have come about to the end of our good faith live stream and what that means is we are going to have to finish the last 20 minutes of this um uh at another time we will finish it and it will be released next monday now pastor michael um i'm hoping for a little bang bang some back and forth um more scott uh <laughs> i don't we know we want scott we want scott we want scott that's <laughs> i don't know what i'm hoping for from the uh the other side of this debate is there is there really anything i mean we've just said it's the worst we've heard by far it really is bad and yeah, we've heard some I, bad. We've heard some pretty bad. This is this is rough. Th and because what we've heard in other cases is purely like emotional argumentation um, or maybe some like confused categories. Uh, and what we have here so far has been quite literally pure sophistry because there's right. not been anything tangible, real, like give us an an actual example of what you're talking about. There's been nothing. It, it has been all, I mean, quite literally the closest thing that we had to an actual issue was how we rhetorically present this to people that are ignorant, not, not wicked. Is that what she said? She, her, her yeah, distinction, yeah. there's those who are wicked, those who are ignorant. And now she even said, you know, here's a pet peeve I have. Uh, she mentioned that she, she was one of those that she was ignorant. She wasn't wicked 
when she held this position, she was ignorant um, and she was a totally reasonable person. Um, and uh, that's, that's how she ultimately probably came to this position. That's what was inferred. Um, to me, I think that you are, I, I think that you are, uh, when you do that, you're not being willing to confront the wickedness of your ignorance, right? Like the, the wickedness of it's, you knew, you knew what was happening. If the ignorance that you have is, I know the baby's getting chopped up, but what about this welfare program? What about this other thing? The problem is not ignorance. The problem is wickedness. The problem is you do need to repent. And by God's grace, you can repent of that view, right? You can repent of being pro-abortion. Um, you can and and be fully accepted by a God who really will love you. Um, but to play it off as, well, you know, there's all these reasonable ideas uh, of what the, it's not. It's not actually reasonable. Now, I will give there are there are people that are actually ignorant. I don't think that there's many, uh, but I do think there probably are people in that position. Um, I just don't think that most people that claim ignorance or those who claim ignorance on their behalf uh, are actually ignorant. I, I think that what they're doing, again, is they're playing a kind of sophist game. Well, everybody, um, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for joining us here on the live stream. Uh, I think, uh, actually, uh, free Patreon uh, trials are still open. So if you would like a week or two week long free Patreon trial, I think we still have some copies of Kevin DeYoung's book, uh, um, Just Do Something to Give Away for new patrons. So we, I think we still have a couple of those. I should check right now to make sure I know that we haven't given those all away, that they're not all spoken for. Um... I think we have three left. So there you go. We have three left. So the next three people who join, if you join tonight, um, you can get a copy of KDY's Just Do Something. So like and subscribe if you are watching on YouTube. And we will catch you next time, everybody. This has been... I don't know what to say. Uh, it was great watching Pastor Michael eat pie and learn a story about uh, me and his wife. Uh, but other than that, there were a lot of low points, a lot of lows, a lot of lows tonight. So we, uh, we're thankful for those who joined us and we hope it was helpful. It's so over. It has never been more over than it is right now. <laughs> Did you fix it?